Well, good morning. Welcome to Easter, all souls, the heart of our faith, the day that we celebrate that death itself is overcome and hope is born anew. And as we start this morning, I want to talk to you just the kids who are here, okay? So um, I want to ask you a question. It may sound like a silly question, but stick with me on this for a bit, okay? How many of you saw a bunny in your yard this morning? Hopping around. Yeah? One? Well, did you know that bunnies take place, you know, they, they, they happen in early in the morning. It's the best time to see rabbits. And in our Easter story that we're going to read in a minute, that's when it, it took place. It took place early in the morning. One of my favorite stories growing up was uh, called Watership Down by Richard Adams. How many of you parents know that story? Okay, a couple of you. The rest of you need to get on that. It's a good one. Um, and it's, it's this story. It, it was started out as bedtime stories that he would tell his kids about a group of rabbits that had to go on this journey from one place to another because one of them had this vision that their home was going to be taken away. And whenever they were scared and afraid on their journey, they would start to tell stories. Did you know that rabbits like to tell stories? It's true. They love to. Well, all throughout, they, 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 they're doing this, and the rabbits of Watership Down, they tell this story uh, about uh, the beginning of time when all of the animals were friends, and they lived in a garden together at peace and, and all of the animals had enough to share. And God, who they call Frith in their little rabbit language, told the prince of the rabbits that everything would be well if he and his people did not eat all of the grass. Does that sound familiar? But all of the rabbits, they, they did what? They ate the grass like they weren't supposed to. So God cast them all out of the garden and they became enemies of one another. But he gave to each of the animals a gift. The rabbits, he gave swift hind legs and ears to hear so they could use these gifts to stay out of danger. And so whenever they were scared, whenever they were sad, whenever they didn't know what to do, they would tell these stories about who they were and who they came to be. And whenever they told those stories, well, it gave them the courage to face all of the dangers that they were facing and all of the temptations that they would come to on their way home. Well, I bring that up because I thought some of you might have seen a bunny this morning, but also because we, as followers of Jesus, we have a story, and it gives us the courage all of the crazy things that we face in this life as we journey toward our new home, toward the new kingdom. Easter is our story. And in so many ways, it tells not just what happens in the middle, but what happens at the beginning and what happens at the end. And so I want to invite you to listen as Susie comes up and she reads this story, just a portion of what happened on that first Easter morning from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken 
They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. But they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciple went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you put him, and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And then Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them all that he had said, all these things that he had said to her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, God, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would come upon us, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers. We ask this in the name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Early in the morning on the first day, when it was still dark there in the garden, these descriptions, they, they take us back to Genesis, back to the story of the first day before God's voice spoke out and brought life and chaos out of the darkness, the first day of creation. A time when life and light came flooding into the world. Humans and gods walked in the peace and the calm of a garden. 
And the word that was spoken on that first day became flesh and blood, living and breathing, light and life came pouring out of him. But the word that was made flesh was then crucified. Darkness returns. Weeping at the cross on Good Friday and then the long and painful Sabbath on Saturday. But on this Sabbath, as on every Sabbath, God is at work preparing the ground for something new to come out, something new, a new first day, not just a first day of a new week, but no, the first day of an entirely new creation. In John's gospel, Mary goes to the tomb alone, which I think is John's way of saying that the church at this point has down to one. And I, we don't know why she's there. Maybe she is coming to bring more spices to anoint the body. Maybe she's there because she has nowhere else to go. No one and nothing else matters. Maybe she thinks that nothing is ever going to matter again. She arrives to find that the body's not there. Her instinct is that someone must have taken it. Jesus said that he would be lifted up in glory, but she saw him killed and buried. No, there's no hope, no faith, no joy in this moment. Just another cruel twist of the story. So she runs back and she tells the disciples, but when they leave, she finds herself there again, heartbroken, alone. While it was still dark, any shred of hope that she had was unraveled like the linen cloths before her lying in the grave. And in that sense, I think Mary is all of us. Do you know what it's like to have all of your hope dry up? Maybe you lost someone this year, someone you couldn't be there for. Uh, you maybe even had to bury someone whom you couldn't touch, whom you couldn't console in the days before. Maybe you sat in a hospital room alone wondering what the next day held, or, or maybe it's just those nagging doubts that have always been there that somehow have become amplified by the voices of division and disappointment and endless closures. Or maybe hope started to slowly evaporate with the accumulation of absences, the, the joys that you've missed, the, the sounds of people laughing around a table, the, the concerts that you didn't go to. As David Brooks put it recently, the loss of emotional nutrition that manifests itself socially as loneliness, that fading sense of purpose and mission that comes when you're serving something larger than yourself, you know what it is like to sit when it's still dark. And if that's not you, then you know someone who's wept bitter tears. Someone for whom this last year has felt like staring at the inside of a tomb. Listen to where they felt that hope was being stolen away from them. Was it because they lost their family? They lost their rights, their dignity, their home. It's because they feel like nobody sees them. 
this too is part of the Easter story. All the sorrow of Israel, all the pain of the world, all the grief that you and I bear, they are right here in Mary's tears. She did not come to the garden looking for hope. She came to weep. And so Easter is an invitation to stand with her outside of the tomb, to let the tears fall at their own pace and their own gravity. But when it's time, go ahead and look inside. First thing that Mary sees when she looks inside is angels. Where did they come from? Were they always there and she just couldn't see them? Maybe, maybe she could only see them through her tears. And in that moment, she turns around to find a man standing there whom she takes to be the gardener. And she's wrong on one level, but she is so right on another level. Think for a moment, if you, you go back to the start of the Bible story, back to that time when a man and a woman are in the, the garden with God, all of creation is focused on this one relationship. And God is the gardener who creates Eden, the garden that symbolizes the way things are supposed to be, the, the place where shalom rules and peace floods over the earth. And then if you go to the end of the Bible, there's another encounter in a garden. This time it's, it's God with his, his bride, the church, coming down from heaven, the new Jerusalem. And it is a city with a garden running right through the middle where the leaves on the trees are for the flourishing of the nations. And now here on Easter morning, Jesus meets Mary Magdalene in a garden. The beginning of the story meets the end Creation meets completion right here. Resurrection pulls us back to the beginning of the story. The, the, the story that tells us how things were meant to be, but it also pulls us forward to the time when we see how things will be. And so on this first day of the week, Mary is witnessing a new creation, this central moment of history taking place in this resurrection garden. No wonder she thinks he's the gardener. But there's also a very human element in this encounter because she thinks he's the gardener because just like the crowds on Palm Sunday, she had this story, she had this whole way things were supposed to be running through her head telling her what it is that she was going to see. And resurrection, it just wasn't part of that story. No, the only possibility for this morning was grief. And because she has that story, she, she doesn't see the angels at first, or even Jesus when she bumps right into him. It's like this, this filter in front of her eyes. And again, she's just like all of us. John begins his gospel by, by telling us that Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And so God goes to great lengths to make himself known. And whatever Mary's ideas of what God should be right now in this moment, Jesus did not conform. 
the risen Jesus asks, who is it that you're looking for? I mean, feel the irony. Jesus is who she's looking for. Jesus is who the whole world is looking for. And of course, we know how strange this sounds, but on this Easter morning, in our own Easter garden here, feel that question being asked to you. Who is it that you are looking for? I'm guessing the reason that you came this morning, if you came with grief, you you came for that grief longing to be turned into hope. And one hope, I think, is to return to what you've always understood. Return to the joy of of being all together. Return to a time of, of normalcy in a world that is bursting with opportunity. A world that allows us to embrace the goodness of what God wove right into creation. We long for a return to the hope that's found at the beginning of the story. But friends, there's also an even deeper hope. And that's to discover something that you've never known. Something that is completely new, a new world, a completely new life beyond the fear of death, beyond the the frailty of our bodies, beyond the limitations of this world. We long for a new creation. We long for the hope that's at the end of the story. In his Friday New York Times op-ed, the pastor and theologian Esau McCauley describes this second hope as the disturbing prospect that God is present with us And his power breaks out and unsettles the world. And that's exactly what Mary found. And it just took one word to break through the wall of her grief and to allow hope to come flooding in. And that one word was just her name. Mary. It comes as a, as a greeting, as a consolation, as a, as a playful, hey, you know me, and an invitation all wrapped up into one. He speaks her name, and she sees him. Of course she knows him. Of course she doesn't know him. He's the same, he's different, he's alive, but it's this it's new life, the likes of which she has never seen before. Friends, Easter is the good news that God refuses to meet us in the categories and the conceptions that we have. And this is good news because if God did not take the first move, if God did not move toward us, we would have no hope to ever find him. We would be lost if God stood apart from us, waiting for us to stumble toward him while it was still dark. Unless he calls us by name, we will never come. But the grace of Easter is that he does come to us. He does come calling our name. The word of God that is present at the beginning, comes into the flesh, comes into the garden, and calls us by our name. And so I just want to ask you to let him speak your name this morning. 
But you can be sure that he won't call you to the world that you knew before. As soon as he calls Mary's name, he puts a call on her life and gives her a new family. Go and tell my brothers that I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. And we are here today still telling her story because the same spirit is drawing us into a family, pointing us to that day when earth and heaven are one. Friends, that is our hope. Has Jesus called your name? If so, then whatever you are up against, you have a future. Whatever you are afraid of or or whatever you don't know what to do, you have a story that tells you who you are and who you belong to. You are children of the Father, a new family. And if you are not part of this family, The grace of Easter is that you can be. That this story can be your story. You can experience new life. The darkness giving way to light. The hope of resurrection. And so the the gravity of this story, all of human history from creation to completion, all the way to you and me is told on this day. Some of you are here and you're, you're doing great. You are excited about the hope and new possibilities. Spring is is more than just a metaphor. It feels like a rebirth. Maybe this year more than ever before. You're here, you're wearing pastel, and candy's going to be half off tomorrow. It's a good day. But others of us, no matter what you're wearing, it feels like you're standing outside of the tomb, afraid to look in. Maybe you're too exhausted to look inside. It feels like a struggle right now. And yeah, you may be smiling on the outside, but on the inside, you are still awaiting new creation. And you don't even need it in the future. You need it now. But friends, that is is the grace offered to you this morning. Jesus makes the first move. He is calling your name. He is bringing hope to life. And if that's you, there is good news for you because the resurrection of Jesus is power and life and healing, not just for the future, but for now. Jesus is actively making the new creation present to us now. He is here speaking your name. So go ahead. Go ahead and look inside and you will find that the tomb is empty that new hope is bursting into the world. Come and experience the power of our risen Lord. It's here at the table where we see a foretaste of that feast that is told at the end of our story. The time when we are drawn together in a new kingdom, at a table with a new family. We, we retell that story every week as we gather around and we remember the broken body of our Lord. It was broken and pierced for our transgressions. 
We remember that story when we drink of this cup, the, the blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so, friends, as we come, let us pray. Lord be with you. Now lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Friends, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together in an upper room. And he told them that he would be coming in a new way, that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them. In so many ways, he said to his disciples what he said to Mary, do not cling to me on this night. I have to go away farther than I've ever been to be closer than I've ever been. And as he was there, after he'd given thanks, he took the bread. He broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he poured it out, saying, This is the new covenant shed in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Take all of you and drink of it. And so, friends, it is that whenever we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim his dying until he comes again to make all things new. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. As we come, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen.